Welcome to Alpha and Omega Ministries International. This ministry is committed to bringing apostolic alignment and restoration of the values and principles of the Kingdom of God to the body of Christ. We trust that you will be blessed and encouraged by the Word of God. So we're going to um, read from Mark's Gospel, chapter 4, verses 30 through to 32, as we discuss the mustard seed principle. The mustard seed principle is found in Mark's Gospel, chapter 4, verse 30 through to 32. And I want to share with you vision, intent, and purpose for our house churches that are scattered all over the world. Reading from verse 30, Jesus is speaking and he says the following, To what shall we liken the kingdom of God? Or with what parable shall we picture it? It is like a mustard seed, which, when it is sown on the ground, is smaller than all the seeds on earth. But when it is sown, it grows up and becomes greater than all herbs, and shoots out large branches, so that the birds of the air may nest under its shade. In this parable, the Lord Jesus is endeavoring to communicate to us truths that relate to the kingdom of God by using natural illustrations. You see, he was speaking to farmers. He was speaking to shepherds in those days. So he used natural illustrations in order to communicate what the kingdom of God is like and communicate spiritual principles upon which the kingdom of God is founded. He is comparing the kingdom of God like a mustard seed. Now, what is a mustard seed? The mustard seed is small and insignificant to look at. Isn't it? And you know, the world has taught us to look for that which is big, fancy, beautiful in exterior. But Jesus is teaching us here that great potential resides in small and insignificant things. Great potential and greatness lies in what the world considers small and insignificant, if we are willing to work with them. And so he says, though the mustard seed is small and insignificant to look at, it has life and great potential hidden within it if we are willing to work with it. Now, through this parable, I believe our Lord is communicating to us a spiritual principle that if we do not despise what is small, and insignificant in the eyes of men, he is able to bring life and greatness out of it. Throughout the scriptures, we are taught that God chooses things which are despised by the world. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 28 tells us that. God chooses things 
that are as counted as nothing in order to bring what the world considers important. In other words, the tools of his instruments and the tools that God uses in the eyes of the world are insignificant. They are discarded by the world. Imagine, God uses the principle of the cross, which in the eyes of men is foolish, to bring salvation to mankind. And now, you see, the Lord Jesus demonstrated this principle to us over and over again. For instance, he took the five loaves and the two fish, and when he blessed them, he fed thousands with them. Did he not? Now, Andrew, one of his disciples, and the rest of the disciples looked at those five loaves, and you know what they said? What are they among so many? In other words, they rejected the five loaves and the two fish. They discarded them because they said, what is five loaves and two fish going to do in feeding thousands? But Jesus, he received them. And what he did, he gave thanks. He blessed them, feeding thousands with them. Now he showed us, listen to, to what Jesus is trying to communicate here, that if we have faith in God, we can take what is small and insignificant in the eyes of man and do great things with it. Now, he took, for instance, another example, 12 ignorant and uneducated men. When Jesus decided to choose his disciples, he didn't go to the Sanhedrin. He didn't go to the educated. He didn't go to the well-versed. He didn't go to those who knew the law, to the Pharisees, to the lawyers, to the Sadducees, to the elite of the then society. Where did he go? He went down to the shores and he found fishermen, simple people, humble people, uneducated people, people whom the, the elite considered worthless and insignificant. He took those 12 ignorant and uneducated men and what did he do? He turned them into great apostles and through them turned the world upside down. There's a great lesson for us because sometimes we look for the elite. We admire the elite. We look for the rich. We look for those who look good. The Lord has a different uh, take on it because he looks at the heart. Amen? And he wants us to learn a vital important lesson that we must not be discouraged by physical appearance but look deeper within and see the hidden potential, not just in people, but also in small and insignificant things. Now, you see, I believe that the Lord wants us to see what others fail to see. He is training us to see the hidden potential, not only in people, but in what we have been given by God and not to despise or reject the little things because they physically appear to be insignificant. That's why he gave the parable of the mustard seed. 
The mustard seed is small, insignificant, and ugly to look at. But if you're willing to work with it and put it in the ground and water it, it becomes the greatest of the trees, and many birds find shelter and build their nests in it. Amen? Another example that I want to give you. The Bible is full of these examples. All we need is eyes to see and ears to hear what Jesus is endeavoring to teach us here. In 2 Kings chapter 4, you, you may want to read it later. I'm not going to read the verses because they, for the sake of time, but it is found in 2 Kings chapter 4. We see a widow here. Her husband died. And he, she comes to Elijah the prophet heavily in debt. You see, her husband did not take care of his affairs before he died, so he died and left her with a huge amount of debt. She was in trouble. The creditors came knocking on her door, threatening to take her two sons away, take them to the slave market, sell them so that she could pay the debt. That's what they used to do in those days. If you didn't have money to pay your debts, they would sell your possessions, they would even sell your children in order for the debt to be paid. She was in terrible trouble. Now, under the inspiration of the Spirit, the prophet asks her, as she comes to him, what do you have in your house? She looked at him and she said, your maidservant has nothing in the house. And then she remembered, oh, just a little jar of oil. I don't know if you've ever read that portion of scripture in 2 Kings, but it will do you good to read it later at your own time. Now, she said that she only had a little jar of oil. Now, what is a little jar of oil compared to this huge debt that she had? The prophet gave her instructions as to what to do with that little bit of oil she had. The woman responded in faith and obedience to what the prophet said to her. You see, sometimes the word of the Lord, when it comes to us, it sounds foolish in the eyes of men when you hear it. You know what the prophet said to her? I want you to go around the neighborhood and find empty vessels. Not a few, but many. And when you find these empty vessels, come back to the house, shut the door, and pour from that little jar of oil into those many empty vessels. She did exactly what she was told. If you were today and you went to the prophet and told you to do that, what would you do? That is foolish in the eyes of men. That is incomprehensible. But you see, God often tells us to do things that are foolish in the eyes of men. But if we're willing to obey and have faith to what God tells us to do, and do it exactly the way He directs us to do it, not doing our own thing, but doing what God wants us to do, the way He wants us to do it, we will find great blessing. You see, the woman was rewarded for her faith. She did exactly what the prophet told her to do, and she kept pouring from that little jar of oil with her sons into the empty vessels. She filled every empty vessel. And the Bible says the oil stopped running when there were no more empty vessels. In fact, if she had more, she would have gained more. The prophet told her, take those full vessels that you filled, go sell them. And she did. 
And she had enough money not only to pay her debt, but to live on that money for the rest of her life. She came into the oil business out of a little jar of oil. Isn't that amazing what God can do with little insignificant things? Sometimes we think, what have I got to offer the Lord? I'm not educated. I don't have money. I don't, I'm not like other people. I can't speak. I can't pray. And we belittle ourselves and the little things we have rather than trusting God with what we do have, committing them to His hands, asking Him to bless what we give Him and multiply it. By belittling yourself, you're not going to get anywhere. You see, God will take that simple prayer of a widow. God will take that that, that feeble thing that you have, whatever it is, if you place it in his hands with faith, God is able to take five dollars and turn it into millions. If you would listen to his instructions. Amen. Amen. So we need, to, uh, <laughs> we need to understand that God can do great things with little things. Faith in God and his word takes what is little and insignificant and turns it into a multiplied blessing. Too many times we complain about the things we don't have. Oh, we don't have this and we don't have that and I wish I had that. And, I, and you hear people gripe and complain about things that they do not have. Rather than focusing on what we do have, thanking God for what He has given us, asking Him to bless it and multiply it. We need to stop focusing what we don't have. I don't have enough strength. I don't have enough education. I don't have enough money. I don't have a bigger house. I don't have a good husband. I don't have a good wife. I wish I had this. I wish... Stop it. Stop it. Are you listening out there? Stop it. Stop complaining and griping what we don't have. Just give thanks for what you do have. Thank God. Paul the Apostle says, Having food and raiment, let us therewith be content. Thank Him for your children. Thank Him for the business you have. Thank Him for the life He's given you. Thank Him for the health He's given you. Thank Him for the relationships you have. And ask Him. Put Him into His hands. And when you do that by faith, He is able to do great and mighty things. Amen? I didn't know much when I started preaching. I said to the Lord, I'm not a preacher. I'm a businessman. I haven't been to Bible school. I don't know how to teach or how to preach. How am I going to do this when you are asking me to feed the people spiritually that I led to the Lord? You know what he said? He didn't listen to what I didn't have. He said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest will overshadow you. And that which is birthed out of you will be touched by the Spirit and you will bless many. So he took a a small businessman out of a town that is hardly mentioned. It's not even on the map sometimes. And because I trusted him with it, he took me out of that little town to the nations of the world preaching and discipling people through the Word of God. We're talking about having faith in God, folks. And putting into his hands even that little that we do have. He's able to do great things. Amen? Throughout the years of my ministry, I have learned this wonderful lesson.
to work with a few and to never despise the day of small beginnings. Amen? The church of the Lord Jesus Christ, listen and listen good, is not defined by numbers, it is not defined by buildings, and it is not defined by budgets. But it is defined by the love of God and the glory of the Lord that resides within the church. Are you listening to me? Amen. Amen. Jesus said, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples, by the great buildings that you have. Did he say that? By this shall all men know by the great numbers that you have, by the wonderful programs that you have. Did he say that? Huh? Of course he didn't. He said, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another, if you love one another as I have loved you. A great church is defined by the love that resides within its members and by the quality of relationships that are forged in times of test and trial. This ministry's backbone and strength is founded upon people who have walked with me through thin and thick throughout the years. They have stood the test of time. They went, they went through sacrifices. They paid a price. They went through challenges and remain strong and faithful to the vision of the Lord who has given us and to me, his servant. And they are still... Hallelujah. Amen. This is the backbone of this ministry. It is founded upon the relationships that are forged through time, through testing, through challenges, through tests and trials. And these folks had opportunity, many opportunities to leave when we went through difficult times, even in Cape Town. But they chose to remain and to stand strong when the time of testing and trial came. And I value these relationships and I would go to the ends of the earth to visit with them, to walk with them, to love them, to pray for them, and to bless them and their children. They are the treasure of this ministry. I went to the United States in 1987 for just one person. A person whom, in the natural, uneducated, in the natural, many believers ignored and disregarded. And through that one person, God has done great and mighty things in this ministry. In fact, the doors are opened wide to me in the United States because of the faithfulness of this couple. And I have been walking with them for 31 years. And our relationship is as strong as ever. They had many opportunities to leave, many opportunities to get offended at me, because I'm not perfect. There are things I don't have. There are things my ministry doesn't have. But they heard from God. And you know, one day the Lord said to me, Son, those whom I have given to you, they cannot but stay with you. Amen. Those whom I have not given to you and have not joined to you by my Spirit cannot but leave you. Hello? Amen. So I am at rest. I am at peace. 
because I know that if God gives you to me, no one can snatch you out of my hands or my Father's hands. Hallelujah. Are you listening, Kyla? Good. Now, I believe that God can do more with five people who walk in obedience to His Word and in the unity of the Holy Spirit than 5,000 people who are disobedient, arrogant, wanting to do things their own way. Somebody say Amen. amen. Hallelujah! And I, <laughs> and I will tell you one more thing. Numbers have never really impressed me, but quality has. Quality has. Now, I value commitment to God, and I value commitment to the relationships God has given us. I value commitment to the values of the kingdom of God, such as obedience, submission, integrity, faith, love, righteousness, and faithfulness to the cause He has assigned us to. Those are the things that I really value, and these are the qualities that impress me the most, and I constantly look for these qualities in the people that I teach and I disciple. That shows maturity and growth. Amen? Not hype and emotional manipulation. Hallelujah. Since I've handed the church in Cape Town to my beloved spiritual son, Michael Morris and Helen, to shepherd, are you listening there, Michael? To shepherd the flock in Cape Town. The Lord, <laughs> the Lord has led me to focus and concentrate on the international front of the ministry. Now, let me explain the major thrust of my ministry. In this season, it is to teach and disciple believers in small groups, which we call house churches. Now, these house churches are made up of small groups of people who gather regularly for teaching, for fellowship, and for prayer. And through the means of technology, God has enabled me to reach and disciple people across the world, as we can see over on the screen. And this is just the beginning, I believe. Now, I firmly believe that the Lord Jesus, who has planted this, this vision, this mission in my heart, will also complete it in His own time, in His own way, and will add to us those who are called to walk and work with us in spreading the glorious gospel of the Lord Jesus to the nations of the world. Somebody say Amen. We're going to fulfill that with God's help. I believe it with all of my heart. That's why I've invested my life the rest of my years. I'm 65 years old on the 10th the other day. I believe I have another 25 good years. I want to invest them in this mission. Train up people, disciple people, educate them in the things of God, eradicate spiritual ignorance from God's people, help them to become all that Jesus has called them to become. Fruitful disciples that will bring forth much fruit to the glory of God. Amen. That's the only way, folks, we can glorify our Heavenly Father. Jesus said that you bear much fruit 
so you shall be my disciples and bring great, great glory to God. Amen. Amen. Disciples are mature believers. They're not babes. They're not children. They're not carnal. They are mature believers who has placed Christ in the center of their lives and do not only look to their own interests, but to the interests of others as well. They have the mind of Christ. They think like Christ. They, they invest like Christ. They don't come and join a ministry or a church for what they can receive, but they join for what they can give and how they can serve the family that God has placed them into. That's a mature disciple. Amen? Too many believers today join groups, join ministries, join churches asking, what can this church do for me? That's the wrong thing to ask. That is the wrong mindset. Christ's mindset, he said, I have not come down from heaven to be served, but I have come to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. A mature believer will join and say, what can I give and how can I bless and how can I serve the family that God has given me? And it is in giving that we receive, it is in serving that we are promoted to greater things in the kingdom. Amen. That is a mature disciple. But that is one mindset that we struggle as leaders within the church. Even leaders sometimes don't even think that way. I was talking to a pastor just a few days ago. And he said, I was shocked at what he said. I have to do what is right for me. I said, a leader does not do what is right for him. Or what is comfortable for him. A leader will do what is right for his flock. And what is comfortable for his flock and what will bless his flock. I won't say what he intended to do, but what he intended to do was ungodly and out of the will of God. Leaders are there to serve and to give. Not what is good for them. And what is comfortable for us. Amen? Amen. Amen. I also believe that there are believers, not only in this valley, but elsewhere, who desire... They have a strong hunger for the word, not just for the milk of the word, but for the meat of the word. Believers who long to go deeper into the things of the spirit, into fellowship and intimacy with God and experience the presence of God in a more intimate way. I believe there are such people, amen, all over, not just in this valley, but elsewhere. I often meet believers everywhere I travel who are tired of religion who are tired of the shallowness of Christianity, tired of the religious performance and the hypocrisy they find, and are looking for truth and the reality of God's presence. I'm hungry for God. I'm hungry for His Word. I'm hungry for His presence. There is more that I do not know. There are, there are deeper depths in God that I must experience before I leave this earth. So it is for you. There is more that God wants to bless you, give you, enable you to experience the joys of His presence in serving Him, in bearing fruit, in knowing Him and understanding His ways. God wants us to move from one level of faith to another, from one level of intimacy to another, from one level of glory to another. We will never explore God's riches and God's presence in this present life. And he wants us to press through and push for more of God every single day of our lives. He doesn't want us to remain indifferent. 
and, and show apathy towards spiritual things. Amen. And it is to those people who hunger that I am called. That's my calling. In order to take them from the milk of the word to the meat of the word. And equip them with the knowledge of God's word. Now, my grandfather was a blacksmith. My father was a blacksmith. And as a little boy, I often watched them how they would take a piece of raw iron and begin to work with it. Put it in the fire and hammer it and hammer it and hammer it. Take it out of the fire, put it in the water, put it back in the fire and hammer it until they made some useful instruments for agriculture. Those days, you couldn't go to a shop and buy what you needed. Blacksmiths were the ones that used to do that. Now, if I would give my ministry a function, it would be that of a blacksmith in the spirit. Why do I say that? I like to receive and work with ordinary believers until they become extraordinary disciples who are shaped and anointed instruments in the hands of the Lord and are able to fight the good fight of faith and extend the influence of the kingdom of God in this sphere of influence. Some of them are businessmen, some of them are called into the ministry, some of them are accountants, some of them are nurses, some of them are housewives, all across the spectrum. Work with them, disciple them. And that is not an easy thing to do because discipleship and training requires willingness to follow instructions. And not many believers are willing to do that today, believe me. Are you out there? Amen. Every believer is called by God to become a vessel of honor and an instrument in the hands of God ready for every good work. Every one of us is called to do that. No matter what your, what your vocation in life is, no matter what your calling is, no matter in which family, in which nationality you were born. Every one of us has a calling of God to become a vessel of gold, a vessel of honor in the, in, in the hands of God so that you can be ready for every good work. But not everyone as we know, will accept that challenge or that calling from the Lord. Because not everyone is willing to pay the price or the cost for such a call. Why do I say that? Well, Paul confirms that in 2 Timothy chapter 2, in verses 20 and 21, he gives us a clear picture of what I'm talking about. Find it in your Bibles, please. I want you to read that from your own Bibles. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 20 and 21, and I'm reading from the New King James Version. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 20 and 21. This is what it says. But in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honor and some for dishonor. Now, the great house he's talking about is the house of God, is the church of God. And he says, in that great house, 
there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honor and some for dishonor. Now listen to the next verse. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. You see what it says there? If anyone chooses to do what? To cleanse himself from the letter. From what is the letter? The wood and the clay. He's talking about earthly things, earthly desires, desires of the flesh. If you choose to purify and to cleanse yourself through the word of God from the letter, from the wood and the clay, you will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. That tells me that we need to allow the Lord to do what? To work with us and we to work with him so that he can cleanse us from the impurities of the flesh and the compromises we often fall into in giving into our selfish motives and desires. We have to be willing to work with God. We have to be willing to work with our coaches. And those who are in a spiritual authority over us. You know, no athlete goes to the Olympics without a coach. Hello? He has a coach who is trained to discipline that athlete, to work with that athlete, no matter how hard it is and how difficult it is. You get up in the morning at 4.30 and you run 10 miles. You don't touch that in your diet, but you eat this. So the athlete has to place himself beneath the coach and listen to his instructions. Even so in the spirit. Those that I disciple, I expect to listen to the instructions that I give them in the spirit. So that they can become the type of people that God wants them to become. I recall when Michael came to us and he's there listening. He was a young man. He had no boundaries in his life. Anything would go. When he came to me, I would not put up with it. I said, Michael, this is the way things are done. There has to be boundaries. These are the boundaries. These are the requirements. This is what I want you to do. And willingly he submitted himself and placed literally his life into my hands as the blacksmith so that I can work with him and disciple him and make him, through God, that sharp instrument that he is today. Today, he will open his mouth, stand on the pulpit and preach a wonderful message and bless thousands of people. But he went through... A thorough training and discipling before he was entrusted with the pulpit. Almost 10 years. Now, not many are willing to put up with it. Here is my son. He's 33 years of age. If I said, Stephen, this is what we're going to do. Yes, sir. Yes, dad. Why? Because he realizes that God put me in his life for his benefit and not just for my own. And, and our children need to be educated and understand that. Because you love them, you want to train them. Because you love them, you want to discipline them. Because you love them, you want to put boundaries around them. If you don't, the enemy will have his way with him. Amen? Are you listening out there? 
So we need to work with God, allow him to do what he wants to do. Paul writing to the Corinthians tells them exactly the same thing. Listen to what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, or rather chapter 6, verse 17 and 18, and chapter 7, verse 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 17 and 18, and chapter 7, verse 1. He says the following, Therefore come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and the spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. God says, I will receive you. You will be my son and my daughter. If you come out from what is unclean, you don't touch what is unclean. You don't compromise with what the world compromises. Amen. You will cleanse yourself. Then I will receive you as a son and a daughter. And you will bring great glory to me. So there are requirements for God to anoint and bless us with his grace and with his mercy and with his anointing so that we can become useful instruments in the hands of God. I don't want to live my life and at the end of my life stand before the Lord and say, and he would ask me, what have you done with what I've given you? What have you done with Jesus? What have you done with the faith I've given you? What have you done with the gifts that I've given you? What have you done with the resources I've given you? How did you use them? Did you just use them for yourself or did you invest your life in the kingdom and in the lives of other people? Amen. All of us are going to stand, not whether we're saved or not, but what have we done with the life that is given us here on earth? Amen. Now, the process, hear me carefully, the process God takes each one of us is unique and different to everyone else in order to bring the greatness and the potential that is invested in us. The path that God has chosen for me is very different from the path that he has chosen for Maria, for Jake, for Heather, for Josh, for Johan and Antoinette, for Kyla. Each one of us has been given by God a unique path to walk in, a unique training. Basically, it's the same, but the path that we follow, that we walk, is different. So, listen to what Psalm 66 verse 12 says. And God does that in order to... You know, I look back over the 40-year walk with God, and I thank God for everything that God allowed into my life, the good things and the bad things. God used them all to bring me to the place where I am today. Even the test, the trial, and the painful situations, and I went through many painful situations, but God used them all. And he brought me to the place where I am today. It's a place, it's a good place. As I look back, it's a place of rest. It's a place of faith. It's a place of trusting more in the Lord rather than in my own abilities. Psalm 66, 12 says, You have caused men to ride over our heads. We went through fire and through water, but you brought us out to rich fulfillment. 
Sometimes when we go through a dark valley, we cannot see clearly. Why is God allowing this in my life? What is he doing? We don't understand because we're trying to figure things out with our natural understanding. God knows what he's doing. And all he's asking us to do is to trust him. When you come out of the valley and you look back, then you will understand what God was trying to do in your life. We only understand things by looking back, not forward. Because when you go through the dark tunnel, like a train goes through a tunnel, there's no light. You don't know where you are. It's all dark. It's confusing. But there's a light at the end of the tunnel. God will take you out. But in it, make sure that you learn all that we, that God wants us to learn. Every life is like a seed that carries deep within great potential. The seed, though, needs to be planted, watered, worked with, before it brings forth life and multiplication. Even so with us. There is tremendous potential in every life that God brings into existence, regardless of who you are, where you were born, who your parents were, or maybe your parents were jailbirds. It doesn't matter. Every life that God brings into this earth has great potential, has great uh, uh, abilities within them. Now, God's purpose is to bring out that potential. Why? So that the world can benefit by the contribution that every one of us makes. Amen? And that's how God looks at us. He looks at our life as a seed. And if we are willing to fall into the ground and die to our own selfish ways, God is able to take that life and do great things with it. Jesus was the corn of wheat that fell into the ground and died. And look at the blessing and the sons and daughters that he brought forth. My life is a seed. And God has chosen for me to be planted in a certain area. When I, you know, when I was in Zimbabwe, I wanted to live in Zimbabwe all the years of my life. But God said, no, your time is over here. Go down south. Did I want to naturally? No. But the kingdom of God and the will of God must take priority and preeminence over our lives. In Zimbabwe, where we lived, when a government was replaced with a majority government, black, the education system went terribly wrong. Health system collapsed. My wife came to me and she said, what are we going to do? We can't send our children to school here. We've got to move. That was the year 1980. I said, I will not allow my children or anyone else to dictate where I will go and where I will live. Only the Lord can decide that. So you know what I did? For three weeks, every single day I prayed and asked God, what is your will for me, Lord? And on the third week, he spoke to me through his word. Sometimes people say to me, well, the Lord led us that way. Can you give me a scripture for it? Can you give me the word on it? Sometimes we're led by our own soul rather than the spirit. So when I came across that word, the Lord said, this is where I want you to stay. And we stayed for another 10 years. Those were the most fruitful, the most beneficial and the most wonderful years of my spiritual growth in ministry. That's where I launched my ministry. That's where God gave us a financial foundation that carried us even to this day. 
What am I saying, folks? Let God, let God have preeminence. Seek first the kingdom of God. Your kids want to do that. They want to do this. Don't give in to them. You are the head of the house. You make the decisions. Are you listening to me? That way you will save them. That way you will bless them rather than giving in to them. Because many parents are manipulated by the children. Unfortunately, it's the truth. We need to stand strong as fathers and mothers, love them. But when it's time to draw the line, we draw the line. God looks to us to lead and guide our families into places of rest and blessing. Hello? <laughs> Amen. Now, the process God takes us through, folks, most times is painful. But the results, if we persevere with our training, they are glorious and worthy of praise. Amen? Even so, in these house churches and the people who are in it are just like seeds. Every single one of you and you out there are precious seeds. You, you have hidden within you tremendous potential. Tremendous greatness, tremendous gifts. You have tremendous value in the eyes of God. Never belittle yourself based on what you have in the natural or what you look like in the natural. God created you unique in his own image and in his own likeness. And there is a tremendous potential and greatness in each and every one of us. Amen. Amen. If we persevere with God, listen to me. And the training he puts us through, without giving up, there will come a day in which we will see the fruit of our labors. We will see it. Now, that's why Hebrews 12 tells a lot about enduring the process of training. Not many are willing, but those that go through the process of training, they qualify. What do they qualify for? To be anointed with God, from God, and to bring great blessings to the kingdom and to many people. Listen to what Hebrews chapter 12, verse, 11, uh, verse 7 through 11 tells us. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 7 to 11. I want you to read this from your own Bible because it carries so much uh, substance and revelation in these verses. The word says, if you endure chastening or discipline, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? For they indeed for a few days chastened us or disciplined us as seemed best to them. But he for our profit that we may be partakers of his holiness." Now no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. You see here, the key word is endure. 
Endure. That's the key word. If you endure the discipline, the training that God puts you through, then you are a true son and a daughter. You're not illegitimate. You're not a bastard. You are a true son and a daughter. What are we to endure? We are to endure the training, the discipline, and the chastening God gives us in order to, for what? To learn obedience and submission to the Father of our spirits. The whole process of training, the whole process of discipline is to learn what? One thing, obedience. The Bible says that Jesus learned obedience by the things that he suffered. When he came from heaven, he didn't bring obedience with him. He learned it. He came as a human being. He left his glory and his majesty in heaven and he came humbly as a servant. And the Bible says Jesus learned obedience by the things that he suffered. Can you imagine being 12 years old and know more than your parents know? They couldn't understand him, his parents. Even his own brothers did not understand him. He, he lived among a people that they could not identify nor understand him at all. He thought he was crazy. They thought he was crazy. But the Bible says he was subject to his parents. He obeyed them, even though he knew more than them. He respected them and he honored them until the day that he was 30 years old and he was released into his own mission. Amen? What was he doing from the age of 12 to the age of 30? He was being trained. He was being disciplined. He was maturing in wisdom. He was growing in favor with God and with men so that he would be able to undertake the weight of the ministry and the calling the Father placed on his life. Today, we want to go through, through three years of training and have 50 years of ministry. That's why many ministers fail today, because they did not adequately allow God to train them. They jumped ahead of God, and therefore they did not last. We need to be trained, every single one of us. He says, if you endure this training, and you learn obedience and submission to the Father of our spirits, you will live. We, we will only live, folks, and experience the abundant life, the life that Jesus came to give us, if we learn to submit our lives to the Father's mission and not our own. Isaiah says, 53 and verse 6, All we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned everyone to his own way. That's why we're all sinners. Why? Because we've turned to our own way, rather than God's way. The spirit of independence... And the spirit of self-will is deeply entrenched in every single one of us from birth. And from birth we are prone. You watch a two-year-old. They want to do their own thing. That's why the Bible says foolishness is bound in the heart of the child, but the rod of correction will drive it away from him. They want to do their own thing. They will lie to you. <laughs> Who taught them? We bring it with us, folks. We're prone to go our own way. The desire to go our way and do things our way has to be broken in us before we can be of any use to God and His kingdom. Are you listening to me out there? Yes. We are stubborn. We are selfish by nature. 
God puts us through a painful process of training until we learn to be broken, to be humble, to be submissive, to be willing and to be obedient. The Bible says the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart God will not despise. You want to give something to God that is acceptable to Him, give Him a broken heart. Give Him a humble heart, flexible, willing to bend, willing to change, willing to submit, willing to obey, even if you don't agree with it. These are the lessons that are learned the hard way. You can't learn this in school. You learn it in the university of life through the things that God puts you through. That's why Jesus, the Bible says, he learned obedience by the things that he suffered. It wasn't easy for him, and it's not easy for us. Amen? Amen. So the whole purpose of our training and discipline is to unlearn our way and embrace God's way. In doing so, we come into the promised inheritance of living the life that Christ intended for us to live from the beginning of time. It is for this reason, folks, that God puts you into families. You're not meant to live <laughs> isolated. He puts you into families and relationships. Why? So that we learn to love the unlovable. So that we learn to forgive, easily forgive. When we get hurt, when we get wounded, when words are spoken, when things, when we are people, we're going to say things, we're going to do things. We must learn to forgive, learn to love, learn to endure, and to be patient and kind to one another. Where do you learn that? In a setting. That's why these house churches are small. In a small group you can't hide, like you would hide in a big church. There you go sit, you see the back of a person for an hour, you, you hear a message, you go out, you know, nobody knows you, nobody... I say, hey, what's up with you? But discipleship requires accountability. You can't hide in a small group. Amen? Hello? Hello? All right. Now, it, <laughs> it is for this reason God gives us spiritual fathers and trainers and coaches in the Word. Why? So that we learn to respect authority, learn obedience and submission. <laughs> Failing to do that, we will qualify. We will not qualify from our training. And as a result, we'll never fulfill our full potential and maximize our usefulness in the kingdom of God. That which is within you, that God put within you, will not come out. Someone said that the richest place on the earth are not the gold mines or the diamond mines, but the cemeteries. So much treasure has lived and died without ever showing up. So many books that should have been written have never been written. So many poems that should have been uh, proclaimed, they've never been proclaimed. Lives have lived and died without ever showing up who they really are. Isn't that sad? To live your life and die without knowing who you are? and without revealing or contributing to the world what God has placed within you? Why? Because of ignorance. Because they did not endure the training of the Lord.
God brought millions of people out of Egypt into the desert. How many of them made it into the promised land from that generation? Only two, Joshua and Caleb. What happened to the rest? The Bible says they died in the desert. Why? Because they griped and complained all the time about things they didn't have. Oh, I wish we had the leeks and the onions and the things. They preferred slavery rather than freedom. They griped against Moses. They griped against the spiritual authority. They criticized him. And what happened to them? They ended up dying in the desert. Never reached the promised land. All of these things were written for our learning and, and our benefit, the Bible says, that we need to learn these lessons. Amen. So, I want to close today, before we pray, with reaffirming my commitment. Remember when I was here, what I said to you? That I'm committed, not just to this house church, but to all the house church, churches that are planted, that are established all across the world. And my commitment is as strong as it ever was. I am committed to do what God called me to do. What did he call me to do? To walk with you. To cover you with my prayers. To encourage you. To stand with you and fight alongside with you. Because I'm in covenant with you, I will not leave you and I will not forsake you. Regardless. I will not abandon you and I will love you unconditionally. I'd love to affirm regularly my commitment to the people that God has given me. What, what does it do? It strengthens the bond of relationship. I tell my children often I love them. Amen? I appreciate them. Often I praise them. Why do I do that? Because it strengthens that bond. Amen? The stronger the bond is, the more difficult it is to break. And the enemy has targeted relationships. He wants to divide and destroy. That's what he does in families. That's what he does in churches. He comes in there and he starts with the accusations, with the criticism, with the complaining. And what does he do? He brings division and destruction. The Bible says where there is strife and envying, there is confusion and every evil work. We have to stop the strife, whatever the cost, because it destroys. Amen? So we need to speak words that edify, words that build up, words that encourage one another. Amen? Stop looking at the faults. Look at the, look at the blessing. Look at within and see the hidden potential in every person. Have the eyes of Jesus. They're not critical. They're not judgmental. They're loving. They're forgiving. They're encouraging. Amen? I will teach, I will disciple you, I will instruct you in the word, and I will equip you so that you could fulfill your God-given assignments. As long as you walk with me, I will walk with you. Now, if you choose to leave me, you are free to do so with my blessing. I will never hold anyone against the will. I want people to walk with me because they want to. Not because they have to or they have an obligation. Are you listening to me? Are you out there? Hello? I only want those 
who want to be with me, who want to be here and willingly choose to walk with me. I'm looking for those who are willing to pioneer with me and are willing to sacrifice with me. There are a lot of things we don't have in these house churches. It's true. But there are things that we do have. Let's focus on what we do have, commit them to the Lord and ask for His blessing upon them. I love you folks. I would go to the ends of the earth if there were just two of you just to visit with you and be with you. Elise mentioned something to me yesterday. Uh, I said, are you still going to come as often now that we are fewer? I said, I would come just for you. And I've done that many times. I've traveled thousands of miles to visit one person. Why? Because I know that person was given to me by the Lord. I love you guys out there. You're part of my ministry and my family. And I'm praying for you. And I'm committed to you. Shall we pray as we close this session today. And, and just ponder on the things that we shared today. Meditate on them. Remember the, the principle of the seed. The mustard seed principle. Never belittle yourself. Never say, I don't have this, and I don't have enough, and I'm not educated, and I'm not clever, and I'm not strong, and I'm not... Stop it. Look at what God has given you and thank Him for it. Thank Him for health. Thank Him for strength. Thank Him for relationships. Thank Him for, good, for children. Thank Him for, for shelter, for a roof over our heads. Find the good things that God has given you and bless the Lord. Commit them to His hands and let Him do great things with them. Father, in the name of Jesus, we give you thanks today. We are so privileged to be able to sit under the ministry of your word, to be able to sit under the ministry of your spirit, to evaluate the blessings that you've given us, to focus upon those wonderful things that you've given us. They are not small, they are not insignificant, but in your eyes carry tremendous potential. Father, I want to thank you for every life, for every house church, for every person within it, they are precious seeds that have within them hidden potential and greatness. And I pray that you would enable us to bring out that greatness, to bring out that wonderful gifts and talents you have blessed each one of us, so that the kingdom of God may be established and its influence may be spread throughout the nations of the world. We are eternally grateful, Father, for each other, for the relationships you've given us, for the blessing we enjoy in being together, in fellowshipping together, in meditating in the Word of God and in prayer. I commit them all to you today and to the Word of your grace, which is able to build them up and to give them an inheritance among those who are sanctified. And everybody said, Amen, amen and Amen. Thank you for listening to this message. For additional resources and more information about this ministry, come and visit us at www.alphaomegaint.org.za.